0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to ESPN host Jamel Hill about Bachelor in Paradise, which shockingly is only her second most guilty TV pleasure each week. And with Halloween right around the corner and the Cubs in the World Series, we'll look back at the time Steve Bartman became the second most popular Halloween costume in the country, right behind number one, slutty Steve Bartman. We'll also slam some <laughs> hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the phone this week, a leading sports media strategist who's worked for the Green Bay Packers, the Colorado Buffaloes, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Millard. Adam, what's your all time favorite Halloween costume that you've worn out?
1: Um when I was twenty two, no, twenty three, uh, first living in Wisconsin. I went down to Madison, and if you haven't been to Madison for Halloween, it is amazing. And I dressed as a present, as as, as in a gift. And on the box, it said, Two Women from God.
2: (laughs) Classy. That's pretty good.
0: (laughs) Adam, I was going to say that's pretty good. I was going to say when when me and my wife and and our friend Brad went out with you and our friend Brad, our friend Brad wanted you guys to dress like Riggs and Murtaugh from uh, Lethal Weapon. And then he he bailed on the Riggs costume or, yeah, no, well, he bailed on the one end of his costume, the Mel Gibson character and dressed as Batman. And you were like, thanks. Now I just look like a cop. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, I look like a black cop. I'm just Carl Winslow from Family Matters
0: <laughs> Also with us in our Brooklyn Bureau, our seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, your favorite all-time costume?
2: When I was 19 years old, I went as Angus Young from ACDC. I am way taller than he is, but I had the shorts on. Pulled up my socks to my knees. Uh, But the best part was I had long hair down to about my nipples. So it was all real hair back then. I Actually, what's cute is living in Brooklyn right now, uh, Hipster Parenting Central, is I met a a mother this week who's dressing up her sons as Angus Young and Brian Jones for Halloween ages 5 and 3. So it's nice to know that that costume has staying power.
0: Nice. My my all-time favorite is also a rocker. I went as um, Nikki Six from Motley Crue uh, in 2003, the night I met my wife. So, aw. Cue the uh, So you're
2: contractually obligated to say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I did. I bought those vinyl sure. pants for a couple years before we went as 80s rockers then. And I, I kind of went as – they were expensive. So I went as an 80s rocker for like four straight Halloweens. And I was like, one of well, these
2: that's when that was in your era of reading the dirt and really getting like legitimately into Motley Crue, everyone like Brad. Brad is the reason I gave the dirt away to a lot of people as gifts.
0: <laughs> it's a good book. It was like an oral history as told by them and their voice. It was it was very compelling and it had a lot of information about the other 80s hair bands. I wouldn't say I was Alexi Lalas into Motley Crue, but I was <laughs> I did. I did like some kicks right. out of my heart, like on the treadmill. But, you know. I digress. And hey, uh, by the way, not with us this week, Joe Reed. Ladies, relax. He'll be back in a couple weeks. Okay? Stop emailing. Love it. Moving on. No more Halloween costume talk. On this show, we don't just invite people on behind the scenes. We go public for your entertainment. We call this process slamming the hammer. It's where we invite some unsuspecting souls from the sports world on to join us on Just Not Sports. Because they've expressed an interest in something that demands our attention. So, Adam, you've been gone a couple of weeks. I'm going to start with you. Who do you want to slam the hammer to, buddy?
1: Um. So, I want to... This is kind of one of, kind of those reverse hammers where it's someone outside of sports who wants to get involved in sports. Allegedly... According to reporter Jay Glazer, who who owns uh, Unbreakable Performance in L.A., uh, Demi Lovato is one of his clients and is interested in getting inside the octagon. I would like to talk to the very easily available, I'm sure, uh, (laughs) but just an email to uh, get a hold of her. Uh, I would like to talk to Demi Lovato about Uh, to see how real this is. Is she thinking an amateur fight? She definitely shouldn't be thinking UFC after what happened to CM Punk. But what is she... What's the angle here? She dates allegedly UFC fighter Luke Rockhold. So she's in that world. I've been to Unbreakable Performance and uh, been through a training session with Jay. So it's a legit place Um, but is she serious about getting into the octagon? I want to talk about it.
0: I can dig that. I can dig that. Adam, who's the one celebrity? Who do you think is like the one person that you would want to see do MMA more than anybody else who doesn't do it right now?
1: That's a great question because, uh, so I'm a bit conflicted on this one.
2: I have an answer. I have an answer right away.
1: Well, I'm just going to give you someone who I know is interested and I think would probably be awesome with some training. Uh, Greg Hardy wants to get into the octagon. <sighs> now, what? I don't think that that guy should be encouraged to be violent in any way, um, but would he be an effective MMA fighter with a few years training under his belt and working his way up the system? He could be. Would that be bad for our society as a whole? Yes.
2: Oh, yeah, and for the MMA, like a an organization that has its share of domestic violence problems. War Machine, I'm looking in your direction.
1: <laughs> a high rate of domestic violence in MMA, unfortunately.
2: My answer is a little different. Uh, I want Mark Wahlberg to get in the octagon. That Ever since that guy made his comments about how he would have stopped the terrorists on September 11th, I want to see what he's made of. Let's go for it.
0: Gareth. Speaking of slamming the hammer, who do you want to slam yours to?
2: Uh, I've been going through a an, a phase of listening to a lot of aughts-era indie rock and alternative music. Um, because I'm a snob, it's probably a lot of bands you haven't heard of. I sent a couple of them to Brad, and he was like, yeah, dude, this is a little indie for me. Um, one of those bands—that's fine, by the way—one of those bands is Granddaddy a band that recently reformed and started touring again. And I would like to talk to the lead singer and main composer, Jason Little, because before starting Granddaddy, he was a sponsored skateboarder in Modesto, California, and had a burgeoning skate career before he got injured, and that forced him to go into the studio and kind of make these, I don't know, like highly produced America's answer to Radiohead style masterpieces. I will I will also, as a treat to our listeners, share my Spotify playlist known as the aughts of 2000s era 97X style indie rock. So that will be updated for you this week.
1: As a frequent recipient of Gareth's playlist, legit. Maybe could make a business out of it if it was his own if it was something other than free spotify please
2: right right i'm gonna go work for music next
1: let me just let me say let me just throw this out there quick plug for gareth you let him know what you're into and what your office is into you provide his transportation first class uh gareth will do your holiday party this year
2: i i i have dj a few holiday parties actually yeah n- no surprise your lists are incredible. Thank you, Adam. Good vibes to start the show here this week. Brad, what's your distract or what's your hammer?
0: My hammer, guys. Look, the Indians are playing the Cubs in the World Series. The the story that I think is getting nowhere near the attention it deserves is Trevor Bauer, the pitcher, who basically ruptured his finger on his pitching hand. Fixing a drone in on an off day <laughs> right, right. in between games, and if you've seen the footage of him trying to pitch against the Blue Jays, he gets two pitches in, his finger ir- like bursts and starts dripping blood, like he's in like from dusk till dawn as an extra. It is just bizarre and crazy. The best part, the two best things were when they asked Terry Francona about it, and I'm sure the media was expecting him to like go nuts. He was like look, who hasn't had some drone-related injury in their in their career, which that was like a fantastic way to diffuse it. But also what I loved is someone asked him, are you done with drones? And he's like, no, I'm not done with drones. It's a huge <laughs> thing for me that I do to like get my mind away from baseball on my off days. And I'm like, good for you, man. Like You shouldn't be held hostage by the fact that just because you had an accident doing something doesn't mean you can never do it again. I mean... I mean, if you're Jeff Kent and yeah, you're popping no wheelies on your on your motorcycle, maybe not. But, I mean, it, he could have easily cut his finger, you know, peeling an orange. So, I just think... Yeah, I would right. say JPP
1: should probably stay away from fireworks, but in general, I agree with
0: you. Well, I mean,
1: yep.
2: argu- that's Motorcycles arguable. are a different conversation. Uh, f- basketball, for f- like football players playing basketball has come up in the past... Is like something they've tried to ban. But in general, I think you're right. Like that could have had like I hurt my finger shutting it in my car door. Dude, you you can't open car doors anymore that you, you're a pitcher. What are you doing opening your car? So, yeah, I mean, look, it gets ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Well, I will say this. Go Cubs. <laughs> we don't talk sports, but come <laughs> on Cubs, we're taping this right before game two. So let's hope they turn things around tonight. All right. Speaking of turning things around, Jamel Hill ESPN host of His and Hers, future host of the 6 p.m. Sports Center, along with her His and Her co-host, Michael Smith. She has never watched The Bachelor, guys. Never watched The Bachelor. And yet, she saw Bachelor in Paradise, their spinoff. And when I ran into her at the ESPNW Summit a few weeks ago, she said, I am all in on Bachelor in Paradise. So, I pounced she probably wasn't thinking, hey, this guy hosts a podcast that would talk to you about this, but sorry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I jumped on it. I was like, look, same thing happened to Adam. Let's talk about it. So we got her on the phone, me and Adam grilling her. We talk about everything from Chad uh, being a villain to Ashley I and whether she's completely undateable. We break down who she hates more, Jordan Rogers or uh, uh, Josh Murray. And of course, we talk about Nick. Nick the future pick for The Bachelor what was it about this season on Bachelor in Paradise that made that made the producers say we can make, base our franchise about this guys I'm going to call it right now he's going to be the Manzel of that franchise <laughs> America is going to reject Nick The Bachelor <laughs>
1: he's so soft
0: alright well stick around when we get back Jamel Hill she's very excited about this it was a lot of fun I even if you don't watch the show or never want to watch the show uh, it, it's a lot about the nature of celebrity and what we love and don't love about uh, guilty pleasure television. So we will be right back with that. All right, Jamel, I have to st- I have to start right here. When we first started talking about this show, you said you had not watched any of the Bachelor seasons, and as someone who has watched a lot of Bachelor over the last ten years, I'm just curious what what was it like diving headfirst into the cesspool that is the Bachelor contestants ecosystem and trying to follow all of these people's backstories all at once.
3: Well, it was a little intimidating because <laughs> I, as you mentioned, had not watched The Bachelor, so. I just wondered, like, was it – I just expected it to be something I would blow off after, like, the first 10 minutes. Like, I, I, that was really – I had a very low expectation level. The, and, and it's no disrespect to people who watch it. And obviously, with ABC uh, being a sister company, we are, I certainly don't want to insult them from a, uh, about a very successful product that they put forth. But it just didn't really seem like my kind of show. You know, I never really had any real interest and watching The Bachelor, I think the only episode I've ever seen was, it was way back when they had Jesse Palmer on. And oh, if, yeah. he, if he had to play quarterback and somebody that worked for ESPN, I probably never would have watched. So, um, so yeah, I had very limited experience. I had, you know, no real connection with the, any of the uh, castmates. And I actually think that was really helpful because I was coming in with a completely clean slate. <laughs>
1: So I have a similar story, Brad, you and I talked about this and you were gleeful when I told you that I had started watching this show. Uh, I sat down on, uh, my girlfriend who lives in LA, we sat down on a Monday night and because uh, she had control of the TV, she insisted <laughs> on on watching uh, Bachelor in Paradise and I said, there's no way I'm watching the show. A, I've never watched uh, the Bachelor or the Bachelorette other than the season that Ryan Sutter, uh, former Colorado football player, was on. <laughs>
3: because
1: because I used I worked as S I D in that in the, and I worked uh, as a graduate assistant in the S I D department and showed some loyalty, but had never seen another minute. But instantly gravitated to the show because it is. Um, Like, real world times five. And I also appreciated that I didn't really need to be invested in any of these characters in order uh, to enjoy it. It's really mindless entertainment, and the characters kind of rotated week to week. And, in fact, I had to look them up today because I didn't remember anyone's name. But, agree, (laughs) wildly entertaining show, and um, I just wonder if these people have jobs at all.
3: Well, I, I, you, I'm so glad you brought up Road Rules, because it was—it did remind me a lot of that. I thought it was a combination of, like, Survivor meets Road Rules meets um, The Bachelor. And I think the elimination element was, like, on steroids in this, because clearly mm-hmm. everybody on The Bachelor in Paradise is trying so hard to last another week um, that they are probably doing and saying things and they're falling in love in 10 minutes and you're just looking at it like these people are utterly ridiculous so yeah you're right it's like a guilty pleasure it was pure like kind of unadulterated like stupid fun and i was really shocked that i was hooked after like five minutes i was like i'm all in on this show
0: yeah i look i think it's really good that you use the description guilty pleasure because television over the past 10 years has morphed from you know, just like mindless entertainment to now we're in the golden age of TV or really even the post golden age where there's so much quality drama and weighty stuff that people can't even keep up with their DVRs. Can you can you talk about the joy of of embracing something that's just silly and frivolous? Because I'm a have been watching The Bachelor forever and I have no problem talking about it openly. It's like I, I don't feel self conscious about it. It's, these people are acting foolish. Half of them kind of winking, knowing what's going on. Like they're playing. They're playing everything up. D- did you have a lot of other guilty pleasure shows, Jamel, or was this kind of an outlier with the way that you consume media?
3: I, I do. I, I have a very small batch of guilty pleasure shows, and this is probably the guiltiest because, and I mean this, and it was put with the utmost respect to the, not only the people on the show, but the people who created it, it's the dumbest show I've watched. <laughs> and um, and I, right, I mean that respectfully, and it's a good thing because with, you know, day-to-day pressures of work and, you know, having to be the master of all hot snakes when it comes to sports, it feels good to watch something that kind of clears my head and empties my head a little bit. The other show that I have been religiously committed to for probably 15 to 20 years is Young and the Restless. The Young and the Restless is my (laughs) only guilty pleasure show. I DVR it every day. I get home. I have a routine. Like, I usually go home and, you know, work out um, uh, or, you know, work out, go to yoga. Um, And then I come back, cook dinner. And while I'm cooking dinner, I watch Young and the Restless. And so I'm usually able – because I'm usually a few episodes behind. So I'm able to, like, power through, like – you know, two or three episodes, easy. That transitions me right into, if there's, you know, to, as the, at the taping of this podcast, is game two of the World Series. So Younger of the Wrestlers will take me right up until, you know, kind of game time or if there were a football game on. So that's <laughs> kind of the way that I decompress when I come home is by, you know, watching something as innate and predictable. But yeah, I love it and keep coming back for more as Young of the Wrestlers.
1: So, well, do you think there needed to? Be, um, this is a leading question, but do you think there needs to be a balance? Because Brad and I were talking about this, and I, I sometimes I'm concerned that shows like this have developed a culture that allows Donald Trump to be a front runner for president. Is there is there too? Is there too much uh, of a? Is there too much of an idiot culture that we see kind of? in our our daily media consumption
3: no i don't think so i mean i know people have that feeling because there's a lot of really good and smart television that's out there and it's not all necessarily serious like two shows i've just started um watching are atlanta and uh isa and secure on hbo and yeah. those shows are wonderfully written and they're hilarious there's a tinge of seriousness still at times about you know broader social issues but I think, if you think about it, the majority of television that's out right now is just extremely thoughtful, and it's really diverse. So mm-hmm. it's, if anything, very anti-Trump in the sense that it's representing different parts of America that were um, largely unseen and from different viewpoints. Like, you have a comedy like Fresh Off the Coke, which you yes. know, didn't exist before. You have, um, you know, of course, you have you know, you're saying none of the, you know, mill stuff, but, like, I, I think even from, you know, Walking Dead, which a lot of people are into, and I must confess I've never seen one episode, but it's, like, I, I feel like there's such a variety out there that for a while we went through this period in in television, and I certainly don't blame, like, shows like Friends for this, but we went through a long period where television was pretty white. It's, like, we were all, like, kind of you know, uh, speeding towards diversity with, like, the comedy show and a different world, Fresh Prince and Family Matters and all these other shows, and then all of a sudden it just stopped. And, um, And now we're at a point where I think because people have been able, through the use of social media, make careers without depending on large networks. Like, that's what Issa Rae did. She was a YouTube star before she got an HBO series. And so because of that, I think we're treated to much more, you know, highbrow television than before. I've said this all the time, especially lately, given what's out there on TV. A show like The Wire, like The Wire had to die on the cross or you know, other shows um, to kind of live, you know, for there mm-hmm. to be. Like, if The Wire were out now, it would be completely appreciated. It would won a ton of awards, but we had to have The Wire to get the House of Cards, to get the Oranges and the New Blacks.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I will say this, I do appreciate your point about diversity, which is why I'm glad we're talking about the least diverse show ever, which is the Bachelor franchise. So, let me <laughs> let, let me throw some let me throw some some hot takes out there. I know we talked about Nick. He he's the breakout winner of the show. He is the next bachelor. Now, he's kind of the Buffalo Bills of the series in that he's lost twice and sort of gone down in flames both times. But you, having not watched the the, the previous series, had a totally fresh perspective on Nick. So I'm fascinated to know, what was it about him that, that people liked enough that it was able to rehabilitate him and make him the face of the franchise moving forward? Yes, see,
3: and uh, when we talk, uh, talk off camera about this. I was unaware of his CD badge. It's not really all that CD, but like that he was kind of a jerk. But on the back of paradise, I mean, I, and maybe it was just because I hated Josh so much. Um, but I felt like, you know, Nick, he was, you know, kind of done wrong at the beginning because, of course, you know, he starts building this connection with who's, uh, the woman whose name escapes me, who has the the children. And then all of a sudden, Josh Parrott in And just in like 10 minutes, just completely feels their way. So he immediately had my sympathy because, you know, they showed the flashback. It happened before, but he just seemed, you know, really nice. Um, He seemed pretty genuine. I did love the fact that he also hated Josh because I was like, see, like mine, we can sniff it out. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I thought thought that, uh, you know, he was one of the more earnest people on there. But I will say he kind of went down a peg to me because – once he was named the Bachelor, then you kind of have to go like once once that happens, and he was named that before Bachelor in Paradise was officially up. And then I started to sort of go back and think about like, well, I have a feeling he kind of knew that was coming, and you know, they didn't just burn the and moment and make a decision. So the young lady he appeared to be building a connection with, I was like, so that was kind of fake because he
0: knew He's he was
3: plain, the Bachelor, so it was right. It was no way he was going yeah. to commit to anybody. You know what I mean? So then it just made me see him
1: in a little bit of a different light. I I I have a lot of things here. So, uh, <laughs> aside from him, did Emily and Haley, the twins, they didn't really ever stand a chance, right? I mean they, no they weren't treated as individuals. Every <laughs> boat seemed, seemed to be connected. It was like no one, no one male is leaving with both of them, and and no, they never they developed them as the twins, not as individual people
3: who happened to. People. I I totally agree. Like if anybody had a right to complain about kind of whether or not they were given a fair shot, it was definitely the twins because. I think there was a lot of fetishizing, the fact that they were twins. And so you could tell what was running through some of the guys' minds, like, ooh, twins, as if they did come as a package deal. And that's why I wasn't mad at them for always running that trick on folks to see if they really knew who they were. Because anybody who legitimately liked them for them and not as the package would totally be able to tell them apart.
0: Well, first of all, (laughs) twins, like dating two sisters at the same time, There's nothing to fetish with that. It's creepy, and it would be, like, way harder than any dating experience ever. So, like, America, we need to stop, like, rolling out these twins for these dating experiences. Now, you mentioned Josh— I was going to ask you who the worst. I was going to ask you who's the worst NFL reality brother, him or, or Jordan Rogers? Uh, but since you didn't get to watch Ooh. the previous Bachelor season, I don't know but how much I, context you have.
3: I'm aware of the history. I'm definitely aware of the history. Yeah. So,
0: is Jordan worse than Josh, or do you think Josh takes the cake?
3: No, Josh. Josh totally takes the cake. If for one, um, one awful habit that he had. Well, he has a couple of them. He sweat way too much. He was, like, a huge sweater and just uh, and he just came <laughs> off like, you know, somebody who was just so not graceful and just kind of ogre And he seemed kind of fake. But more than anything, it was the moaning and the kissing. It drove me crazy. Like, he just was so into it to the point where, like, nobody moans that much during the fifth. Nobody. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was so annoying that it would drive me crazy. And I will just... And if I had to list to one A 1A pet peeve with Josh, the fact that he said in Mexico at that resort that they had the best pizza that he <laughs> ever had, you he know he's never been anywhere. You got know, the best pizza in Mexico, and he ate that pizza like it was <laughs> a filet mignon at the, the most expensive steakhouse in America. And I was like, this dude has never been anywhere. Clearly, if he thinks the best pizza is in Mexico.
1: You, you—I believe you're calling Josh Basic.
3: No, that's the part where he was so basic and so <laughs> lame, and it's just like, oh, I can't believe just So much for this, but of course, after you know, I'm sure a lot of people do this. Like after you watch a reality show, or even while you're watching it, where you know there's a, a, a particular, you know, like there's some kind of final result. Is that I had to look up where him? I think her name is Amanda where him and Amanda still together. And at least last I checked, they were. So then I just felt like a big old hater. But I was like, I'm sorry. I mean, his, his love for a basic pizza and the moaning, kissing thing, I was like, yeah, I'm out on that. But, you know, if she like it, I love it. Whatever.
1: I'm sure it'll be one of the all-time great romances and they'll have children and grandchildren.
3: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to say, as a former Packers PR guy and Aaron Rodgers, PR guy, I'm going to say that Jordan Rogers is the worst and leave it at that.
3: Okay. Fair. Well, you you would, you would definitely know. Now, look, <laughs> even though Josh was, you know, definitely one of my least favorites, by far, the worst person on that show was Ashley. And, and it's not even close. It's
1: Ashley not even I. <laughs> can we? How soon Ashley, can we make her a bachelorette? Crazy Ashley, <laughs> Ashley
3: was the worst. He worked. And I mean between her crying fit. I mean, she was she was uh, she was a stalker. And what she did to Jarrett and Kayla actually the second worst person, like if I had to rank my top three, it'd be Ashley, Jarrett, and then Josh. And the only reason and Jarrett used to be my favorite. He had started to pass Nick for a while. But I saw that Jarrett was whack and he he just didn't he didn't man up. He should have told Ashley to back off, to stand down, and he went for that crying stuff every time. Like, like he was the biggest simp on that show. And if I was Taylor, <laughs> I'd have never wasted my time on somebody like that. Like, are you kidding me? You can't even tell this chick that you claim you've never been in a relationship with to, like, stop interfering. And I don't even, I don't know how, I don't know how Taylor didn't draw ass. Honestly, I just don't. I don't even know how she can not draw her. Like, that shit was the worst.
0: Jamel, we we've got some more stuff to unpack with Ashley. I but first, I have to say this: when you rank your top three least favorite on that show, and don't include Chad, it's like leaving Alabama out of your top five in your in your rankings this week.
3: <laughs> okay, so here's why I'm okay with Chad, despite the fact, yeah, oh, did he come off as a terrible person? I can't say that he did. I can't really defend any of those actions on there. And there was a there was a secret evil part of me that was hoping him and Lace worked out because they probably would have destroyed each other by the end of the show. Yeah. So I get it. But the one thing I can appreciate about Chad and so much so that I even follow him on Snapchat now
0: is oh, that no. Chad
3: does not pretend to be any. I do. I do. So he's like him and his dogs like and of course even the first <laughs> we all know. But um, he, Chad never pretended to be anybody other than what he was. He was the one person on that show that was not faking. Was he a sexist? Was he a masochist? Was he at times crazy and dangerous? Absolutely. But you knew that. Like, he showed you all his cars. All of other people were being whack and fake. Hello, Josh. As opposed to just being like, yo, this is who I am. Take me or leave me. He was out of you-know-what to give. And there's a certain part of me that has a respect and an appreciation for that.
1: It's, I So I totally second that. I think... You probably have experienced this working with athletes, and and I certainly have, um, having worked on the team side of things, but you'd have guys who never wanted to do an interview and would curse you out (laughs) for even asking them. But as Mm -hmm. soon as the camera's turned on, Oh man, totally different person. They're like a
3: different they, person, yeah. They were so exactly. happy
1: to be there. So yeah, I always said I'd rather have a guy who tells me no up front and that he really doesn't want to do it, and maybe he has a bad attitude throughout, and he's kind of but he's real about it, than a guy who uh, just turns it on when the lights come on. So you do have to appreciate that, especially in the world of reality TV.
3: Yeah, even though uh, I understand why people were, you know, appalled by Chad's behavior, but it's because a chat that I got kind of really hooked on it because the first episode I watched was the one where you know he had that unfortunate accident that he claims was not a, that he claim never happened because he was on um, he actually I, which I also didn't know is he is cool with uh, you know my colleague Ryan Rosillo and Rosillo had him on his show and he swears that he did not poop his pants. That didn't happen. <laughs> But the, if somebody was going to get that drunk and, you know, possibly may have pooped his pants, like, how could you not be in on the show with somebody possibly pooped their pants? It's the deflate gate.
0: It's the deflate gate of of The Bachelor. Um, let yeah, me... Poop gate. Yeah, right. A defecate gate. Uh, let's go back to Ashley I. So, because I think she's a good comparison to Chad, right? So Chad is just, like, being who he is, and he's a train wreck of human being, and he's awful... And we celebrate that. Ashley, I, now she's been this crazy on multiple seasons now. And and she's deemed annoying. So do you feel like we, 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 we kind of know that some of these people go into the show being okay, being the villain, because that's the role that's going to get them camera time. Do you ever feel like we demonize the women who play that role and we let the guys off with sort of a, a smile and a wink? And I'm not accusing you of doing that. I still, do you think that it's easier to do that on shows like this?
3: oh and and it's easy to do with women, so I think you're kind of right with that in that regard It's like yeah, women are sometimes often held to a different standard. but I will say this is that um the difference the only reason why I really couldn't stand Ashley with the eye is because I didn't feel like she was i mean she was upfront with her crazy in some respects and not in others, like she certainly let let Kayla know what was up. But I felt like when it came to Jared, like, she was so manipulative. The thing is, Chad was too dumb to be manipulative. Like, he just was what he was. <laughs> like, he wasn't trying to play the game. He was just like, yeah, this is me, love me or hate me. She was more, like, manipulative and devious. And that, I don't, like, I it was hard to have respect for that because I felt like she didn't put her cards on the table. And then she was trying to, like, undercover, sabotage others you know, other people's relationships. And this was, she was a, she was like a double agent. And so that's the part where I didn't like, as opposed to, if she just been like, yo, this is me and I'm going to cry every three minutes and you just have to deal with it. Okay. I can respect that. Much like, I mean, the, the, the girl that, uh, uh, Vinny, that, that breakup there, like, I thought that was really underhanded what she did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the way that she did that to him and then to try to go crawling back, like I was glad he told her to kick rock because that was just that was real low down, and he was a sweet dude, and I just felt like she did him wrong.
1: So uh, let me ask you a question because I'm on the fence about this. Have you never watched uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, Jamel? I would like to say that I would watch if Ashley I was the next Bachelorette. No, really? Yeah, well, here's what I wonder. Does her being in that format take away what makes her great, which is the desperation and the craziness? Like, is she still crazy if she's the focus of attention and she has guys coming after her?
3: Well, you know that's a good question, um, and you know, but she was so stuck on Jared that it was just kind of like, okay, we. I guess we can never really get to know the real Ashley because we couldn't get to know the real Ashley that was independent of a completely strange infatuation with Jared. But you know, you guys would probably know better than me because you actually watched both, and I've actually watched one, um, and, and it's it's interesting because. You know, Brad. If you note the fact that like Nick was totally unlikable on The Bachelor, right? A little more like uh, a little more like a likable, a rather excuse me, on Bachelor in Paradise. I'm wondering if it could have, you know, the opposite, you know, effect. Like I don't know. I mean, I, I guess because the the Bachelor parameters are a little less crazy. That maybe there's a potential uh, potential there for the people to be a little bit more normal. Than they are in the paradise setting but it's just like ashley's personality is it, it seems to be um she's a stage five cleaner man like, I, I'm just saying, <laughs> like a stage, uh, and i'm like that never does well and you know i i hope at this point she has let that whole jared thing go but you know um i know it was a big ego boost for him i've always said that about dudes. like we never they complain about women who don't let go or, you know, won't get over them. There's a secret part of them that really likes it because it's such a huge ego boost.
1: Jamel, um... Yeah, but they're probably... I think there's a point of diminishing returns on, on them.
3: Yeah, you're right.
0: Uh, we'll go speed round here. I know you got to go pretty soon, so we'll go speed round with a few questions real quick. Are these proposals real or fake? Do you, do you believe these couples are going to stay together after the show?
3: Okay, uh, it's a, not to complicate the answer, but it's a little bit of both. Like, I think the Grant Lace one was definitely real, and um, so yeah. And I think the uh, the Carly one, Carly was probably my favorite um, yeah. of all of everybody. She was probably she was probably my favorite. Uh, her and, and Evan, that's his name. I think Carly and Evan. I think those two were real. Um, you know, the Nick one said, like, I thought that whole ordeal was a little fake and staged because he knew The Bachelor was waiting. So I, I think you probably have, uh, in, in that situation with this setup and this show, about a 30% chance um, that they're real.
0: So f- real quick before I get to the next speed question. So in the Carly was on the previous season of Bachelor in Paradise. And she hooked up with a guy early and they were part of like the couples that were going to make it all the way. And then she got really cocky about it and she kept being like r- really funny and kind of like, you know, just pissy in her interviews about everybody else's relationships falling apart. And then the last day she got dumped and like had a total meltdown. Oof. So she's one that Oof. I liked initially, but then I was I was kind of happy to see her get a little bit of comeuppance there too. Yeah,
3: that, make, that, that makes sense. So, um, but it felt like oh, her and Evan kind of really had something.
0: Yeah, they were like the nerdy couple that loved each other. So let me ask you this: Evan goes to the hospital with an alleged injury that we later find out is like way embellished, just so Carly will go with him. If that, if a guy pulled that with you, is that a is that a positive sign or is that like, dude, see you later? Uh, it's
3: positive because it, if it works. It is. If it doesn't work and you're not into him and you found out he did that, then you just kind of think he's lame. So in this situation, I think, given how things turned out and how they related, it, it's more cute, way more cute than creepy.
0: Yeah. All right, how about this one? Nick on the beach breaks up with with, with his gal, starts bawling. Ugly crier or decent-looking crier? Ooh,
3: I'm gonna go ugly
0: cry. Yeah, me too. That was, much.
3: that was a little much. Yeah, that that was definitely an ugly crime. It's like, all right, man, like get it together. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. He's, pretty <laughs> so, soft in
1: gen- he's pretty soft in general. I'm I'm not watching The Bachelor with him. <laughs> Be, um, I can see why you're boycotting boy the like
0: bachelor. That. All right. Two, <laughs> get to me. two more real quick. Lace Are you in or out on the name Lace for a human being?
3: (laughs) I am in on it. I am (laughs) in on it because, A, it's easy to sell. Now, the the propensity of people to say it wrong is low, you would think. And so as somebody who has had to live the name struggle her whole life, I appreciate (laughs) four letters. I get people call me Demolay, Neil all kind of stuff. So I'm jealous that Lace has something very easy. And as we found out, very easy to tattoo on you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So last one, I'm not going to name names, but while we were at the ESPNW summit, a, co- a, a well-known colleague of yours told, gave us a, some inside info that Chris Harrison in person is by, would by far be, be bachelor material that he's, He's great looking, that he's super funny, super charming. So where would you rank Chris Harrison in relation to the guys that you saw on the show?
3: I mean, (laughs) I I can't really see that. I mean, personally, um, I thought like when you think about what the Bachelor is and what it's supposed to represent, I think they generally do a good job, A you know they find guys who are attractive somewhat successful um you know uh and and have a little bit of swag minus Evan, of course <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, to them. and so it's yeah there's something plastic about Chris Harrison that I don't quite like thinking about him in terms of like the bachelor uh and 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 what you usually expect there's just something a little bit you know, plastic about him. Maybe I'm just saying that just because he's a TV host. I don't know, but I can't
0: really see that. Well, if anyone can judge TV hosts, it's a TV host yourself. We can't thank you enough for giving us so much time. We encourage all our, um, our listeners to, of course, watch his and hers every, every day, 12 Eastern ESPN2. And then the big news taking over the 6 p.m. Sports Center beginning of, uh, you know, in February of next year. Um, Congratulations on that. We're so excited to see what you guys do um, with the show, and then of course they should follow you on Twitter at Jamel Hill. Uh, so thank you so much for joining. Uh, you're going to be watching Bachelor in Paradise next season, right? You're you're in for good.
3: Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm hooked. I'm 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 I'm, I'm in until I'm out. So <laughs> I'm definitely in. But thank you guys for having me. I really really appreciate it.
2: Man, that was funny. That is interesting. I will I will probably not go back and watch Bachelor in Paradise before the start of the next season, but that was a decent interview. Thank you for teaching me something just on sports and Jamel Hill.
0: I want to say this. I had not watched this season of the Bachelor in Paradise. I, I've seen pretty much all the other Bachelor seasons as well as the spin-offs Bachelor Pad, Bachelor Pad 2, and multiple seasons of Bachelor in Paradise. So when Jamel said she wanted to do this, I was like heartbroken. It's kind of like, like being super big into star Wars. And then somebody saying like, I want to come on your show and talk about it. And you're like, I never saw, I never saw force awakens. Like I felt so bad. So I totally binge watched the show over like the last week as best I could online. And, uh, I'm glad I did, man. It would have been a, 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 it would have been a sad hole in my, uh, my bachelor knowledge for sure. Okay. Moving on right now. The Cubs are playing in the world series. Halloween is right around the corner so everyone is talking about the one person who absolutely positively doesn't want anyone to talk about them. That is Steve Bartman, arguably the most infamous fan in sports history for no fault of his own. And it's been proven out multiple times over the years. But what we we lose track of in all of the recent um, nostalgia and search for Bartman talk and all this. Oh, he should throw the ball at the World Series. We lose track of what a phenomenon Steve Bartman was and the role that Halloween played in fueling that phenomenon. The Cubs and Marlins played their infamous 2003 um, NLCS just a few weeks before, and Bartman became the trendy Halloween costume du jour of that year and beyond. So, Gareth, I know this is something that we were talking about in New York earlier this week, kicking around, talking about what do you remember the most about that that sort of Halloween season of Bartman back in the day?
2: Well, what what originally got us talking about this was I was that in the sort of way that we think about it now, was that almost the first viral costume? You know, was that and now that was certainly helped by its proximity to Halloween. But was that the first sort of news or cultural event that then spurred a race to dress up like Steve Bartman? three weeks later for Halloween. And I remember news stories. If you go on the internet, there's a lot of news stories. Like the hottest, the hottest Halloween costume this year is Steve Bartman. Don't tell Cubs fans. Um, Back from 2003. But even as you go through like a cursory Google search into 2011, 2014, 2015, they pop up. Um, I looked on Instagram earlier today. There are couples that still – there was a couple in my neighborhood dressed as Bartman a year ago. That's one of the first thing that things that comes up. And so I was just sort of amazed by – I guess my questions are uh, – I have a few questions about this. Number one, was this the first viral costume? Number two, what explains the staying power of this? That it's 13 years after the fact and Pizza Rat is forgotten in 13 months, but Steve Bartman lives on. And number three, seriously, is it okay to even talk about this? Because I've really been sympathetic to all the talk about like, don't talk about Steve Bartman. Don't talk about Steve Bartman. But at the same time, he is a Cultural phenomenon in a sense. And it kind of harkens back to a time where we were right on the cusp of a life entirely lived online. And so that's right. why I think he might stay longer than so many other things. Like he's this relic from a time before obsessive Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So
0: wanna, those are my thoughts about it. I just, yeah, I want to answer your first question. And if we're talking about the first viral costume in the Internet age, I would say no. The first viral costume that I can recall was Lewinsky and Clinton during the impeachment. Huh.
2: Yeah. OK, yeah. But yeah, like, blue dress. It had the iconic like it had something that's right. You
0: could go to easily. You yeah. could do gray hair and a suit and blue and a blue dress. And everyone knew you were Monica and Bill or the beret. You know, like there was a lot of things about her that were just Very. Oh my gosh. Like that you instantly recognize what you're trying to do. I'm also sure that like every year has these like trendy kind of news of the moment costumes. So I would say that to answer that question, I don't think he was first. That said, I absolutely agree that it's had an enduring, enduring impact because every time the Cubs have been relevant or, or frankly shitty in October, there's a reason to (laughs) dust. Yeah. There's a reason to dust off Bartman. Um, because mm-hmm. and I think to your point, Gareth, be for the same reason that the blue dress stands out for Lewinsky, um oh, for our younger listeners, the president of the United States probably uh <laughs> orgasmed onto a blue dress in the White House, so that's a thing that happened on one in of the his 90s. interns
2: it was yeah. on it was on one of his interns <laughs> wearing the blue dress i mean let's, yeah. it wasn't like hanging in a closet <laughs> What about
1: earlier than that though like in the eighties couldn't you like michelle uh, Michelle Gorbachev or like Oliver North with a paper shredder? I feel like maybe even before. Lewinsky, that
2: these things were happening.
0: I'm sure, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that, like, there's always been those trends. I do think there's an enduring appeal. and I, I think do part think of it-
2: there's a dearth of coverage of those costumes, though, because that's another thing that came along with the internet, is A, easily searchable history, and B, it, there's this multiplying effect where you see people starting to dress like one thing, and it becomes a trend, and it becomes covered. Now it would be on BuzzFeed. Back then it was probably on, like, I don't know. Uh what was big in the internet in 2003? You know, altavista.com or whatever. <laughs> so AOL hey well, chat rooms. Okay, yeah. well,
0: the outfit is the reason to me that it endures. If he was just a guy wearing uh wearing a Cubs jersey with a generic haircut, I think it would have been impossible to pull off. It's the fact that he's sitting in a marquee seat in the stadium wearing Really, you know, stand out in the crowd type of clothes like that were that always seemed a bit odd in that they fueled this like he doesn't belong there mentality that so many Cubs fans projected onto him like he's wearing a green turtleneck and like a black sweater at a Cubs game that has nothing to do with the Cubs or maybe it does and I just don't remember what it said. He's got his Cubs hat on. I He said Renegades baseball. Right. He, it's like he, yeah, that's right. He's like it's like his, his his youth team that he coached or something like that, which is even more right. tragic. And he's wearing a Cubs hat. And he's got like <laughs> the big earphones on that seemed out of place right as iPods and, and and smaller headphones were becoming there. I just feel like that that was so easily identifiable. And if it had just been me out there wearing like my my Daryl Ward Jersey or like my, you know, my Randall Simon Jersey from that year. I don't think it would have been half as, as big of a, of a costume phenomenon that it ultimately became. Am I Adam? Am I right with that?
1: Yeah, you're right with that. I didn't know that this was a thing until today. So
0: (laughs) well,
2: white people have a lot of things, man. (laughs) So you should know that.
1: (laughs) I, I, uh, Obviously, I was aware of who Steve Bartman was and uh, his legacy, but I didn't realize that this was a Halloween costume. So when Brad uh, – I know we all kind of have our se- separate conversations during the day. When Brad said, Gareth wants to discuss this, I said, interesting. I'd like to use this as an educational opportunity because I didn't <laughs> know <was> a thing. <laughs> this is much more Yeah. finding out about the uh, – the Bachelor, The Bachelor in Paradise, Gareth.
2: You know this. This whole episode is really a PSA. It's what we try to do. It's a teachable moment for all of us, really. But <laughs> I do feel like uh, the Steve Bartman costume. Number one, it th- what you're saying actually does lead me to something I want to talk about. To Brad's point about the clothing, it a made it iconic, but b made it doable like most people could come up with that costume as opposed to it involving like having to buy a suit or something outrageous i mean most people get scrounged together a cubs hat a turtleneck and some old headphones i also think it is a safer sports related newsworthy halloween costume for our melanin challenge population than some of the other things they've gone down such as ray rice which that was a terrible sports related halloween trend that we would do best to remember so that we can move on from
0: that one yeah gareth that's a really good point because there sports news of the day halloween costumes <laughs> does not have a great track record of like cultural <laughs> right. sensitivity there's like oj and the bronco there's Ray Rice. There's like Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. I'm sure it was a thing back when that happened. There's all sorts. I mean, the the one in I grew the, up in Colorado. Lawrence
1: Phillips during his days in Nebraska.
0: Right. Kobe and, probably. Yeah, and and Adam, I, and I gotta say, the one Halloween tradition that is an enduring piece of Americana is white dudes in blackface. <laughs> Please stop it! Please stop it! So even if you're just like, yeah, I'm being Randy Moss. it's I'm like to laugh you, at that. When you bring out the shoe polish, it's like, dude, you need to stop. You need to go back to your house and wash that shit off.
1: I feel like there should be in double. There should be a new portal on the NAACP website where you submit your Halloween costume idea. And you get a response within 24 hours and uh, a judge of panels will evaluate your costume and, and uh, get back to you and let you know whether you should go out in public because your asshole buddies are going to tell you it's okay. I'm going to disagree with them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, But so can I ask a uh, a final question? This is, as we enter a time when I think the, and rightfully so the prevailing opinion on Steve Bartman is leave the guy alone let him live his life the cubs lost game 7 anyway in 2003 is it okay to be talking about this now as a halloween phenomenon number 1 and number two like does are we like ragging on a guy we're not but like does this costume is it ragging on a guy for having kind of dorky clothes
0: I, yeah. I mean, I've always felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm a Cubs fan. i lived I lived in Chicago for a decade. I've lived in Illinois for two decades. I've always been uncomfortable with the way that Bartman became the scapegoat right away. I think that was a particularly dark time for sports um, fan hatred culture like the Cubs and the Red Sox. Like that was when Bill Buckner's era was played on SportsCenter like every day of every year.
2: Oh, that was the grady little year as well, right? And that was so. Like, I mean, that, I mean, that was
0: there was a lot. Everything got out of control, and I think it was like, oh yeah, this is just like another Buckner, and then people started to realize, like, well, maybe we don't need to do that again. And I think the course correction came, but it was already too late. And then second, mm. I, I know I've said this before. I can't remember if it's on the pod or not, but Steve Bartman has done nothing to capitalize on his infamy, and in an era. When all anyone does is cash in. I mean, that, that dude wearing the red sweater at the debate is in a lacoste uh, Ken commercial. Bone? Yeah, that Ken... dude? Come on, dude. Ken Bone. <laughs> Ken Bone is in a Lacoste commercial, even though he's got like horrifying things that he said in his personal history on the internet. And Steve Bartman, who could easily have opened up a like a, a string of BW3s in Florida, has done nothing to cash in. He has even done an interview. So I, like, yes, I think it's fine to talk about the phenomenon that is Bartman, but I always like to put a huge asterisk on it and says it was not his fault. He did nothing wrong. He did not contribute to that game. And we should all and and none of us would have done what he did and go completely dark and mind his own business in a time when all anyone wants him to do is not do that. Adam? Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. It just makes me a little squeamish that that happened at all. And if you wore a Steve Bartman costume or are planning on wearing it, just don't. Just email Adam and, and send him a picture. And within 24 hours, he'll let you know if it's good or not.
2: That's a good, that's a good new, look. We're helping people, that's important. And so, for everyone, email Adam. He's already provided his info on the show. And if you're secure in your costume, enjoy being Ken Bone this year.
0: Hey, Adam, can I'm we happy actually, to can we actually,
2: all costumes. I don't discriminate.
1: I'm happy to evaluate all costumes. Male, female, whatever your theme is, send it to me, and I will prove.
0: We're gonna do this on on our website or, or on online. We're just gonna say if you have a costume that you're thinking of wearing, uh, Adam will <laughs> Adam will give you a yay or nay. <laughs> All right, with we'll that, give you uh,
1: will be similar to what the store gives you because we're in broadcasting. We'll give you a one to five star mic rating. And then,
2: ultimately, a yay or nay on why you should wear that. I love it. Five
0: mics for the costume. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with our distractions and our shout-outs after this. And we are back. You know, when athletes make music, movies, do cool things... We love it. You love it. All the sparkle ponies want more of it. But there's always the trolls that tell them they are being a distraction. We know better. We know life is just work and the things that distract you from work. So right now, we're going to tell you what we've been distracted by this week. Maybe we'll tip you off to something that might distract you as well. Adam, starting with you today, what's what's your distraction?
1: So I have a quick one. Uh and this one will come to as a surprise to no one, Luke Cage on Netflix, if you're a fan of Marvel movies or series, Luke Cage is my favorite yet. And I love yeah. Daredevil, Jessica Jones and all of uh those, but Luke Cage outstanding show, give it a shot. Then the my my primary distraction today um is something I thought about this morning because in Chicago We don't have spring or fall, we just have milder versions of winter, um, which means (laughs) it gets cold and windy really quick and uh, the sun disappears. And so for those of you who, uh, and there's a lot of us out there who feel drained as soon as the sun disappears, I, since moving to the Midwest uh, in my early 20s, I grew up in sunny Colorado where even though it was cold, the sun was always out then i moved to uh the midwest and thought i was going crazy so uh vitamin d you can do it a, you do a couple forms you can take the edible form uh the recommendation is 4000 ius per day what i do uh i have a uh vitamin d lamp or artificial sun lamp that i keep uh on my desk and i also have one at home uh so when i Come to work in the morning. I turn it on for about 30 minutes, and you can feel a physical difference in um, in the way your your body and your mind feels after you you get a little sunlight. And then I also usually do it at the end of the day uh, when it's also dark, and I go home. If I'm watching TV, I have my lamp that I set next to the TV, and uh, it's done wonders for me over the years. So if you if you've never heard of it, uh, the best company is a company called Verilux, V-E-R-I-L-U-X. So I wouldn't call it a distraction as much as uh, a medical intervention that has been very beneficial to me over the years. And those of you who live in cold, dark places, uh, a very worthy investment.
0: All right. That sounds... That sounds good. I'm always up for a medical intervention that doesn't involve me stopping drinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you can still drink, Brad. It's fine.
0: <laughs> Gareth, what's distracting you?
2: Uh, I love that you, call, you talked about the Midwest because the country he comes from is called the Midwest. Bob Dylan has been a distraction for the last couple of weeks ever since he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, I love books and I love Philip Roth books, and I would love to see him or Cormac McCarthy win a Nobel Prize. And I was ecstatic to see that Bob Dylan won as I was sexing a friend of mine, John Cole, DP, sports DP here in New York. I mean, man, who's a better writer than Bob Dylan? And he just sexed back, no one, man. No one. Um I've loved going back down his, that rabbit hole. I think those are timeless songs that can live forever. I think it is a tradition worthy of the honor, the highest artistic honor that we as humans bestow, uh, whether he accepts it or not, I really don't care. Uh, Barack Obama's thoughts on Bob Dylan kind of said it all as he was invited to the white house. He didn't take any pictures, He didn't show up for rehearsal. He showed up. He performed his ass off on the songs, got off the stage, shook the president and first lady's hands and left. And as Barack Obama put it, I mean, that's what you want Bob Dylan to be. You don't want him there cheesing in pictures for you. He's a hundred percent. Right. Be as mysterious as you want, Bob. Uh, I made a lengthy playlist of some of my own personal favorite Bob Dylan songs to celebrate this occasion. I've been listening to it constantly. I've been digging back into some of his loud. Some of those early electric performances are some of the loudest rock and roll you will ever hear metal, whatever. But it is loud and jangly and threatening to fall apart at any second and it is f- fucking spectacular for it. So Bob Dylan has been my distraction for the last couple weeks.
0: All right, speaking of an artist whose work has endured for 30 years plus. Um I want to talk about the Friday the 13th movies. This <laughs> last week uh I in in talking about Hellraiser I believe. I mentioned that um or maybe it was Halloween, I don't remember. Uh, I mentioned Friday the 13th and very quickly gave, um, you know, my top three. I just figured I'd expand on that and go ahead and just rate all of the Friday the 13ths real quick. I've seen all these movies. I actually am a big fan of this series. And with Halloween around, if you haven't seen Friday the 13th, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you lay out um, what to watch and what to avoid. We'll go in reverse order. Worst to best. Okay. Worst is number nine. Jason goes to hell. It's completely irredeemable at the, the beginning there's a cool scene where he gets blown apart by a SWAT team but then the 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 what do you call it uh, what do you, who, who's the person the mortician or no, no who who does the autopsy? The
2: You're on your own with this one my friend. You mean what's the name of the person who does yeah, the autopsy? Yeah,
0: who's who's the the guys at the doctors in the morgue?
1: Uh yeah, what's the word for that?
0: uh boy all right well hey you know what don't worry about it all right there is a cool scene where jason gets blown up by a swat team but when they get him to the morgue the doctor doing the um, investigation to his death eats his heart and then he just possesses other people the The corner yeah i mean totally awful uh after that just don't even bother next is number five again not even jason it's a dude like pretending to be jason uh, side note five has the best nudity. If that's why you watch Fred of the 13th movies, but if you want story, I <laughs> wouldn't do that uh, seven is, is the third worst. That's like the one where he fights the girl with um supernatural powers. It's kind of like Carrie meets Jason. Pretty dumb. Then eight, that's Jason may takes Manhattan. We're still not, we are not yet talking about good movies here yet. Uh, I'm still just uh, rating, <laughs> rating them by, by worst to first. Then three, not a good movie, not a terrible ending. Uh, but it was 3D, right? Three was 3D. Bad for most of it. Uh, trivia: This is the first one where Jason wears the hockey mask. Is is number three. So like, it's a good historical watch for that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't just sit down with it with a beer. Then the remake from 2009. I get what they were going for. Overall, pretty disappointing. That much better is Freddy versus Jason. Now we're into like watchable movies, in my opinion. Freddy vs Jason, uh, an underrated horror comedy movie. If you take it like that and i think the fight between them is actually pretty great at the end top 4 the final 4 if you will number 1 is in fourth place it's it's a classic it's got the twist ending uh but i still think it 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 still doesn't play out as great as like halloween or nightmare on elm street or the original classic movies of that era number 2 Locks in at my third place. It's actually got some pretty scary scenes. The scene with the guy in the wheelchair going down the stairs with the machete in his head is epic. And Jason with the bag over his head is actually pretty terrifying. The top two are number four. Young Corey Feldman begins the, what we call the Tommy trilogy, which follows his character um, you know, for, for several ups and downs. And then the best movie, in my opinion, number six, the final Tommy movie. It's, it's like a winking to the camera, in a little bit that like true horror fans might not like, I actually think that's right for this series, especially when you're in your sixth episode and the production's pretty good and there's some good kills and yeah, man, that's it. I will say this. If you want to have a conversation about Friday the 13th with me, I'm all for it. If you see me somewhere, but if I say, give me your top three and four or six aren't in it, it's like, I'm not even going to waste my time.
1: <laughs> wow. I never knew you were into this. This is great. Yeah, Man, we've learned so much in this podcast.
2: This is a shadow I would to- hope that today's I would hope that today's podcast is the first in history that in one segment mentioned Philip Roth, the writer of the Letter to Geneva trilogy and the Tommy trilogy of Friday the 13th fame. <laughs> guys,
1: I'm just going to say that this podcast is really symbolic or uh, important for us because we learned so much during year one of the podcast as we start episode 53 with year two we start with a lot of learnings in this episode and hopefully many more to come and i have some dirty johnny jokes for another time
0: yeah please save those for another time i i will say this a beautiful (laughs) and eloquent speech there adam i will say this one thing i've learned if you're listening go to itunes and rate and review us uh, it, it still helps with visibility for the show. Send us an email if you do, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Maybe even send you some swag that's in our offices. You never know what we've got lying around. I mean, Gareth gave me an Icky Woods autographed football yesterday uh, that he'd been sitting on for a yeah, year.
1: Yeah, I, so. I have a T-shirt. True story. And, and guys, if it's been a year and you haven't figured this out, reevaluate your life. You have a lot more to learn than the rest of our audience.
0: Come on. <laughs> Uh let's end today. Yeah, love it. Let's end today with some shout outs. I'm gonna give a shout out to Jamel Hill and all the people at the ESPNW Summit. It was an awesome experience to be there with Sarah Spain and Jamel on the harassment panel, uh Kavita Davidson, uh Kelly Carter. It was so great. I met so many awesome people and it, it was a j jo- it was a joy to just sit over cocktails each night and just talk about what these really great you know people in sports are into away from sports. So uh thank you for having me out there and thanks Jamel for for doing this show. Uh Gareth, got any shout-outs?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna shout out uh my little dude, Wiley. Uh my son is turning two on Halloween. Um I love that little guy. And uh happy birthday, buddy. And happy birthday to my daughter Belle Halliday and my wife. We have th- I have three birthday Birthdays to celebrate in the month of October. It's kind of a gauntlet. But we, it ends next week with Wiley. So, Wiley, happy birthday.
0: Hey man, getting a little family gratuitous with these shout outs of late. I mean, lots of shout-outs to my kid on the first day of school. Come on. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to lay down some law here that like we only get like one family shout-out a month. <laughs> All right, Adam, bring it on. <laughs>
2: well,
1: uh, my dad, who is recovering <laughs> from a major um, medical situation, you later, had to, if You don't mind Brad. You had to go there. Brad, I'm going to shout him out. <laughs> make yeah. me feel.
0: Make me yeah. feel like a real prick, Adam. Thanks.
1: Yeah, perfect,
2: perfect tip. Uh,
1: sorry, Dad. Uh, I can't shout you out because Brad said no. Uh, no, but uh, Big John, uh, John Willard, if you're listening and you figure out how to uh access podcast yet. Um just wanna say I hope you are feeling better, resting up, and uh I'll be home to see you very soon.
0: Well said, my friend, uh, well said.
1: And then the rest of our our family, the just not sports family, I'd like to give a shout out to uh my boy Uzi, Death Jeff, mm-hmm. Lil Swanny, Meach, Love that guy. Ron Mack and John Willard's favorite cousin, my other cousin, Ron.
0: Love those guys. Well, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, rapper and sometimes basketball player, booty rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.